Um, if I seem a little weary today, it's because I just had um, opening weekend of Anastasia at North Raleigh, and <clears throat> it went really well. Um, we had great audiences this weekend. It was really lovely, um, including Thursday night, which is our opening, which is usually kind of light, but it was it was it was it was a good number of people. So it was very good. So if I'm not quite as excited or engaging as I normally am, I apologize. Um, at least I'm good to look at, so that helps. So um, that'll be helpful. Um, let's pray very quickly, and then we're going to dive in to our topic for today. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for this opportunity to discuss um, the world of art and what it means to engage art, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would be um, with us as we... Um, are exploring this topic together. May we do so to honor and glorify you. In your precious name I pray, amen. All right, so we've been talking a lot about um, some philosophical things, and today we're going to dive into a little bit more, some more practical things. There will be some philosophical things as well, but um, diving a little bit more into some practicality of, of art and that sort of thing. Um, so we're going to start by talking about the idea of high art versus low art, all right, and and that category and um, that sort of thing. So um, we're talking about high art for a second. Here's the thing about engaging the arts, right, um, that we as Christians don't like as much, right? And the fact is that it's subjective, right? Um, you and I might listen to the same symphony. We might watch, look at the same painting. We might watch the same play. But at the end of that, we might find ourselves disagreeing about what was good, what was bad, um, that sort of thing. So it's subjective, right? And again, that's that's tough for us as Christians, right? Because we like the objective, right? Um, but I found that um, the more I read the Bible and the more I engage with the Bible, the more I find a lot of nuance in the Bible, right? And that things are not always exactly what they seem. And the more you read the scriptures and engage with it, you'll see that there's more to, to mine and look at um, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so um, you may really like um, a certain artist, and I may not, and there may be good or bad reasons for that, um, but the, the idea of high art versus low art and, and what these different kind of art forms um, take on is subjective, right, um, to a certain degree. Now, there are principles of design and art and that sort of thing that can kind of give us a guidepost about what is good, right, in art. And those are certainly helpful, um, but then again, you know, it comes down to, you know, Shannon really likes romantic comedies, and I prefer a drama, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about preference and quality and that sort of thing, um, which is not true, because Shannon will watch dramas with me a lot. So um, what, what does high art mean? I, I'm sorry, I know that's very small, but high art essentially means that it's made simply for artistic contemplation. All right, simply for arti artistic contemplation. All right, and what does that mean? Because that's a, a lot of things. Basically, we're looking at the formal properties of the piece of art. Now, this applies to all kinds of pieces of art, right? A lot of times we apply this to visual art, right? But we're talking about plays, we're talking about um, film, we're talking about um, poetry, all different types of things. You're looking at the formal properties of it and kind of seeing it um, unfold in that way. And we'll talk more about that next week 
um, when we talk about plays and theater, which is my area of specialty, right? And we'll get more into the formal properties of theater and um, how that kind of works, all right? So you're looking at the formal properties of art, right? You're also looking at the technical skill of the artist. How skilled is the artist that's doing it, right? Um, are they, for example, with visual art, brushstroke, right? That's one thing that you can look at. And like how technically skilled are they at that sort of thing, right? Um, for example, Monet, right? Probably one of my favorite um, artists, right? Um, his brushstroke is very different from those that have come before him, right? Um, and so um, you probably know this being great art historians yourselves, but um, Monet was not, initially was not accepted by the Academy um, as a very good artist at all. In fact, um, his work was rejected again and again um, for the salons, and finally he just set up his own um, viewing of his own art and kind of started a whole new movement of Impressionism um, with some of his fellow artists. Um, but again, technical skill and looking at technical skill and, and what that means, right? And then finally, the relationship to the narrative. Like how how is your painting or your poem or your film or your piece of theater, how is it relating to the narrative that you're trying to tell, right? So that's, that's high art, right? What we often call high art, which is simply made for the joy and the um, ability to look at something from an artistic or aesthetic um, viewpoint, right? right? And then we have low art, which is a little, it's hard to define, right? Because again, there's some, there's some preference here um, that comes into play, right? Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, it takes all kinds of art. This is what I call Rembrandt and the Golden Girls. All right, okay. Um, I love Rembrandt, beautiful artist, right? Okay, but I also like the Golden Girls, which is very low art, right? Okay, it's not, it's not, you know, doesn't mean it can't talk about serious subjects, but it's, it's, you look at Rembrandt, you look at the Golden Girls, there's two very, very different things going on, right? Um, so let's start a little bit with, um, I have a couple categories here that I start with. Um, the first one is good art that I like, right? Okay, good art that I like. And this is where quality and preference align themselves together, right? So you look at a piece of art, and you're like, I can tell the quality of this piece of art. I can look at... Um, Again, the technical skill involved, the, the relation to the narrative, um, all that sort of thing. And it's like, this is beautiful, right? This is good, all right? Um, and again, very subjective idea. But there are, there are certain things that we can say about a piece of art and um, have that kind of um, go forward from that, right? And that's, you, you recognize the quality, but you also really like the painting as well, right? So this is where quality and preference kind of overlap, all right? Okay, the next category is good art that I don't like, right? Good art that I don't like. So in other words, you're able to recognize the quality of the art and you're able to say, hey, this is a really good piece of art, but, you don't but your preference doesn't align with that, right? For example, good art that I do like is, for example, Monet, right, or Rembrandt. I enjoy both of those artists very much, right? Um, but then... Um, some of the abstract expressionism doesn't really do it for me, right? Like circles and shades of color don't 
really, I mean, I know there's something there. I can recognize that, there's, that it took skill to do it, but it doesn't, really, um, it doesn't really align with my preference or what I like, right? Um, so that's, that's the thing there, right? There's a, there's a contemporary artist named Francis Bacon um, who does some very interesting artwork, and he's definitely very skilled, right? But I don't really like it. Right, um, so I can I can testify to its quality, but I don't really like it as a person. There's a preference that comes into that, so those two things don't align there, right? So as a professional artist, I can say, hey, I recognize that this is great. Um, for example, there's a very famous play called Waiting for Godot, right? You've probably you might have heard of it if you've ever taken a theater class. Um, I understand the importance of it. I get while it's important but I don't necessarily like it as a performance piece, right? Okay, so um, some things, you know, goes uh, without saying that I am a narrative person, right? And waiting for Godot is very much about waiting, right? Nothing that really happens. Um, and so uh, it's not necessarily, you know, something that I deeply enjoy, but I understand its importance in the overall um, development of theater, right? Okay, um, for example, I'll tell you a story. Um, Eugene O'Neill, who's probably the greatest American dramatist, um, when I first read his work in undergrad, of course, you know, I was 18, so I thought I knew everything. And um, I was like, this is awful. What's going on with this? this is, I don't even, I don't understand. This is, why are they talking in this weird language? What's, what's going on here? Um, and then I got to grad school, and I had some more training and some more understanding. And I read the same O'Neill play that I'd read in undergrad, and all of a sudden, I read it, and all of a sudden, it has much more meaning and understanding for me, right? Um, and so I started to understand the quality of his work, and by understanding the quality of his work, I began to take a preference for his work as well, right? Um, and sometimes that just happens, right? Taste does develop and change, just like our physical tastes can develop and change. Our artistic tastes can develop and change, right? Um, and so there's all kinds of different ways that that can happen and different ways. Does anybody have an example of that? Is there anyone who, like, hated Shakespeare in high school and you're like, why are we reading this? And now you understand it? No, I see. No one. Yes, absolutely, right? Um, I love that people read Shakespeare in high school. I'm really glad they do it that's not what it was meant to do, right? It wasn't meant to be read. It was meant to be performed. And a lot of people are like, I don't get it. And a lot of the reason is they don't get it is because they don't see it, right? They don't see it the way that Shakespeare intended it to be seen, right? Um, but again, it's good to read because it's great literature, right? Okay. But at the heart of what it is, Shakespeare is meant to be performed, not read, right? Um, doesn't mean you can't read it for enjoyment, but really, um, you know, this past year um, at North Raleigh, I took um, Much Ado About Nothing, which is probably one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. And um, they had never done Shakespeare at the Academy before. And um, so I was told when I took the position, like, don't do Shakespeare here. It won't work. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I totally agree with you. No, I don't, right? So I took four years to kind of prove to them that I could do the stuff they wanted me to do. And then I was like, okay, now we're going to take, uh, we're going to take a risk here and do something different. And it really worked out well. It was really, it was well received by, 
by the um, uh, students and the um, the uh, the audiences. So it's probably because I said it in the 1940s, and there was some great music and stuff like that, and the costumes were very pretty. And anyway, I'm not a spectacle guy. Um, we'll talk more about that next week. But spectacle is like all the beautiful things that make something beautiful. I love that. That's really great. But honestly, an actor and a chair and a spotlight can mean as much to me as you know, Phantom of the Opera, right? Okay. Um, which finally, thank the Lord, is leaving Broadway. All right. So good art, right? <laughs> I just let you into one of my preferences about something, right? Good art that I don't like. We can recognize the quality, but it doesn't align with our preferences, right? Okay. It doesn't align with our preferences, all right? Then there's bad art that I don't like, all right? Okay. And this is art where we look at it and we're like, ooh, this is, this is not good art, right? Okay, and it also happens that we don't like it, right? Okay, and then, so there's low quality and no preference for it, right? And so that's kind of this category of art that, um, you know, um, that you don't recognize any quality in it and you don't really like it either. And that's okay, right? And then there's bad art that I like. <laughs> right? And that's why I named this little section Rembrandt and the Golden Girls, right? Because, you know, not good art necessarily, but I like it, right? Um, something that is just kind of there for the low art value of just enjoying it, right? Um, and so anybody else, have, anybody else have something that, you know, you know it's not good, necessarily good by taste standards, but you love it and you just can't help it? Guilty pleasure, yeah, absolutely. Do you have one? That you want to share, yeah, sorry. All right, there you go, okay. I laid mine out there pretty pretty openly, so yeah, good. All right, Kid Rock, all right. Anybody else? Something that you, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You just want that beach read. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe there's some art in the Terminator series. I don't know. Um, there's definitely something interesting about it. But, yeah, I don't know that I like it all that much. But, um so this is, this is preference, but not necessarily quality, right? This is, and this is kind of an acknowledgement of the fact that, um, you know those motivational posters that used to be really, ex uh, and they're still kind of popular, I guess, but in the 90s, they were like exploded. It had like the beautiful picture, and then it had like, you know, excellence, right? And then excellence endures long after cost is forgotten, right? And it's like a picture of the, ro of the Greek temples or something, right? You know, and those were everywhere, right? And to me, that's kind of like some bad art that I like, right? Like, you know, um, I can feel that it's kind of trying to manipulate me, but I like that, and that's okay, right? Um, as long as I acknowledge that, right? Um, so these are just some categories that I use that I think can help you kind of figure out what do you like and what do you not like, right? Like, what, how do I engage with this piece of art? And here's the thing, um, for example, like a Jackson Pollock, painting or something, 
you know, there's, no, there's not really a narrative there, right? There's not really a story there, but I can appreciate it and I can understand it and I can kind of see what he was trying to do, right? Um, and I think that's the thing that we as Christians need to do a little bit more of is we want to jump straight to critique. We want to jump straight to this is what's right or wrong about this, okay? And I think we as Christians have to take a step back a little bit and maybe be a little bit more observant before we make the critique statement. Not that critique is wrong, because it it's good, all right? But I think a lot of times we jump straight to that, and so we miss the opportunity to be observant of what's going on in what the artist is trying to do, all right? Um, and that sort of thing. So I think, um, you know, that's something I've learned just by being an artist is kind of like learning to appreciate art that I don't necessarily like, and that's okay. Um, but really, I think, and we're going to talk more about this, Ross and I had a great conversation on Wednesday about, um, about some of these things, and um, it was right after like a not-so-great dress rehearsal, so it was really great to, um, to talk with him and just talk things through. Um, so anyway, we're going to get to that, right? Um, a little bit of, uh, I want to talk a little bit about postmodernism just a little bit because it's kind of been a big um, influence on the art world, all right? And what are some of the, po what are some of the marks of postmodern art, right? Um, and some people are like saying that we are now in another completely different era of post-postmodernism, right? And I think it's just, you know, it's interesting to kind of see how we look at ourselves and look at the way that the world works, right? Excuse me. Um, one thing that we do kind of, that we do um, have and accept from the Romantic era is this idea, whoops, I always hit do that, is this idea of originality, right? Orig oh, I've got to create something new, something never seen before, something like, I have to have, my voice needs to be original, right? Like, a lot of times when I was in grad school, we would talk about finding your directorial voice, like, what does that mean? Like, how does that, um, when you direct a play, what does your voice say about the play, right? Very kind of um, high-level stuff, right? Um, but um, there's this idea of originality that's really super important to, um, to everyone. I have to be saying something new or original about the, the art that I'm doing or the world or something like that, right? And so um, that becomes very interesting. But the thing about um, postmodern work is that there's actually a lot of appropriation in postmodern art, right? Um, I think of Andy Warhol, for example, right? Um, if you've ever seen any of his work, like he is, he's reaching back to really great pieces of art and then kind of like doing something different with them, right? And kind of exploring them in a new way, right? So actually, there's a playwright, um, and I'm forgetting his name at the moment. He wrote a very um, well-received play a couple years ago called August Osage County. Um, and in August Osage County, um, there are tons of pop culture references, like just one after another after another, right? Um, and a lot of times in playwrights, especially um, postmodern playwrights, like they will reference all kinds of pop culture things and you kind of have to understand where that reference is to like get the whole thing, right? Um, and sometimes that can be a real downfall of postmodern art, right? Because if you don't get the reference, then you're kind of left out of 
the realm, right? And so you don't necessarily want um, that to, to happen. So it's very interesting. And we have this kind of um, clash going on here where we want to be saying something new and original and we want to be seen as, you know, um, someone who has something original to say, but yet we're, we're commenting and using a lot of, um, of older references and uh, referencing a lot of older art and that sort of thing. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of my my main spiel, and then I want to I want to recommend a couple books to you if you um, haven't uh, if you have been, um, and I'll try to put together a bibliography for you guys so that at the end of the course you can kind of have all the books that we've been working on. Um, one is the stories we tell by Mike Cosper, who um, was the one that did the uh, the very popular. Um, podcast series on um, Mars Hill. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm really tired. Um, so um, <laughs> he, that's, that book is great and is, and is uh, really good. This is another one that's really awesome. Um, it's a little bit more intellectual and heady, but it's very good. Um, Sanctifying Art, um, which is great. And that's where I got a lot of my ideas that I presented today. She has a great chapter on... Um, what is good art? And she just spends a good chapter kind of looking at that and um, developing that idea it's from um, from not just a Christian perspective, that's certainly there, but just in an overall respo uh, response to what is good art. Um, and she does a really good job of tying together artists, theologians, and the church and kind of what are they, what are they doing um, together. All right. Um, so on engaging with art, right, we've kind of got all this heady stuff, the high art, the low art, the good art, and the, the bad art, and all that sort of thing. Um, but I want to go into a more practical uh, moment here to talk about um, what is it that um, this kind of entails for us as Christians, right? And how do we, um, how do we kind of approach this uh, as a good follower of Christ? Um, and there's two things that Cosper brings up in his book that I think are really helpful. Um, and he kind of calls them the two C's, and I kind of have put them together like the, the front and back of a coin, right? Which is, um, they're two sides of the same coin, right? And so I want to talk about those for just a minute, all right? The first is the conscience, all right? The first is the conscience, Um when you engage with art and when you engage with media or that sort of thing, um, you will have a res response from your conscience about it, right? Um, Y'all have heard me talk about the Game of Thrones series um, before, and I was like, I, I was like, everybody was watching it. It was like the hot thing, right? Everybody was like, yes, this is great, blah, 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 right? And so I, I was like, I want to watch this. So I downloaded the first season Right, and I was like, "Yes, here we go," and I got into the first episode, and I was like, "Yikes!" Right, um, my conscience had a very strong reaction to the series. Right, and I'm not saying that if you like the series, that's fine. I'm just saying my conscience kind of really reacted strongly to it, and I only got through about the second episode, and I was like, "I can't, I can't go much further than this." Right, I don't know if it's a if it's a case of bad art that I don't like 
or what it is. But um, for me, uh, the sexual content was just too strong. And so I just was like, I'm out, right? Because um, um, my conscience is sensitive to that sort of thing. Um, some, some conscience, you might be more sensitive to language, right? That, that might be a strong um, thing for you, right? Um, or violence. Violence is often... So violence, language, and sexuality is what we call the big, kind of the big three for content, right? Um, and how your conscience responds to that, right? Um, and so you have to be very careful because Paul talks about the idea that your conscience can be seared, right? That your conscience can, um, can be dulled in a sense, right? Um, and so it's really important to... Um, to have a sense of like, this is what I'm watching and, and why am I watching it and that sort of thing. Um, and again, like I know some people that have enjoyed Game of Thrones, right? And they're, um, they're great people and I love them, right? Uh, but I, I don't, right? And so again, it's that, that preference and that subjective nature of what that is, right? And we can talk about more about ethics and that sort of thing. Um, that's a whole nother discussion and something I've been thinking about a lot lately, too. But the conscience can be dulled, right? Um, and the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy uh, 4.2. He says, Such teaching came through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, right? So we can become desensitized to these things, right? Um, and our conscience will stop kind of um, it will be seared, right, and not and not work right the way that it's supposed to. Um, and so, you know, a lot of for a lot of people, violence, right, just unbelievable violence, and just you know that really some people can't take that, and that's that's good. That's a sign of their conscience working, right. But if you continue to like go against your conscience, right, that will that will have an effect, right. Um, and you have to be very careful about that, right. And there's a whole other there's much more that we could say about that, but I just want to kind of present that as one of the first two C's, and we can talk more about that as we go forward, right? The other is community, all right? Art was meant to be taken in in a communal way, right? Okay. Does that mean you can't stroll through an art museum by yourself and be touched by a piece of art? No, but art was meant to be consumed um, in community, Think about it, right? We have our little, Shannon, do you have my phone there? Yeah. Um, we all have these little movie theaters that we carry around in our pocket, right? And at any time, no matter where we are, usually, right, um, if there's Wi-Fi, we can, um, we can pull up something and watch it all by ourselves. And we just consume, right? We don't even think about it. We're just like, you know, we call it binge watching or whatever it is. We're just consuming media, right? Okay. Um, but that is not really the way that art was meant to be consumed, right? I mean, in fact, that word consumed is kind of a difficult word, right? Because it kind of indicates just taking in and not really thinking about it. And um, I think we have to be very careful with that, right? That's why it's good that we live in community, right? Because if there's a show that you're watching but you don't want to tell people that you're watching it, that might be a sense of like, ooh, uh, maybe this is not the best. Or if a friend comes to you and says, you know, your obsession with days of our lives is getting in the way of your church attendance, right? 
like that's a good indication there, right? That something is, is not right. Okay, so community is really important, right? Um, because it kind of gives us a sense of, of uh, understanding and it gives us a sense of when, if our conscience has been seared against something that maybe someone in our community might say to us, hey, you know, this is, this is not good for you, right? Um, and a lot of people ask me, they're like, why, why do you spend so much time doing theater? Because with film, you can do so many more cool things. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You can. But guess what? There's nothing like being in the room with the actor and watching them act and work right in front of you. There's nothing else like it. Right? And that's a communal experience. That is an experience of being together and having togetherness and community that is really important. And film is great, and you can certainly watch films with groups of people and enjoy it, right? But everyone's like, why are you investing in theater? It's, you know, it's a dying art. I couldn't, dis I couldn't disagree more. It's not. Because here's the thing, as we grow more isolated with our phones, right, and our, um, the theater becomes more vital because now we need places to gather together. We need places where we can go and watch and experience and be together. And that's really important from a community aspect, right? Um, and so these two things really work hand in hand to help us as Christians kind of understand what it is about consuming art and um, taking in art and that sort of thing, right? Cool. So that's kind of, that's kind of where, um, and of course, you know, this idea of the second commandment, um, the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor by being involved in what they are um, looking at and together, that sort of thing, community is very important to that, right? It's a way to love your neighbor, right? I also think art is a good way to love your neighbor, right? It's a great way to love your neighbor and talk about something, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's another good aspect that, you know, we are in community with one another and therefore we can talk about um, what, um, what we're watching, right? And it can be as simple as good art, bad art, high art, low art conversation, or it could be an ethical conversation, right? About, you know, what are you watching and why are you watching it? And how, how does that affect what, who you are as a person, right? Cool. All right. So that's the main presentation that I have today. I know it's a little short, so I wanted to take a moment, um, a little bit of time to maybe answer some questions or field some thoughts from you guys that we haven't, because um, I know we've been hitting a lot of heavy stuff over the last couple of weeks, and I know you may not have been able to ask a question, or you may have a thought that hasn't been able to, you haven't been able to, to put out there, and so I'd just love to spend the next 10 minutes or so maybe just with a little discussion, a little thought, and it can be about anything um, related to what we've talked about. Um, it can be related to this as well. Yes, Scott? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. 
Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it's very interesting, right? Because we're talking about that. Again, we're kind of looking at the, the idea of wanting to say something original, and yet it's one of the most, you know, trite things that we could probably hear, right? And be, yeah, um, Disney, very interesting, right? So, I, and I think um, I love Disney myself because he's a great, because they're great storytellers, right? For the most part. Um, not everything has been great, and that's okay, right? But I often tell my children, you know, we get our story from Disney, we don't get our theology from Disney, right? Um, because, you know, there there is all kinds of, um, and it's really interesting because um, I something I've noticed is that how quick some Christians are to embrace art or media or, or anything like that without truly thinking about it, right? Without truly being like, They'll just, we'll put our stamp of approval on something because it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to, um, to say that, right? Um, or it has family values and therefore we can kind of overlook other things, right? Um, but like something with, with uh, Frozen and the, the whole, um, I look at something like Frozen and I think about um, the idea that, um, you know, uh, I am who I am, and I'm going to explore who I am, and I'm going to become more of who I am, and that's the decision that I'm going to make, right? Um, you know, and um, which is really interesting that we, you know, some Christians, not all, have so embraced that idea and been like, yes, this is, you know, Frozen is the next best thing, right? Because I've had lots of kids who are like, when are we doing Frozen? And I said, we're never doing Frozen. The next guy can do Frozen. I'm not doing it. Um, so even though I'm sure that I would make, you know, a kajillion dollars off of it, but that's not a good reason to do something, right? Yes, sir. <sighs> that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, well, there are, um, there is like an industri- there is an industry-wide awards program for art and for commercials. And actually, when I um, took television and theology last summer, we did a whole, not a, I mean, it was a week, but it was a, kind of a whole exploration of commercial and how commercials can, yeah, some of them can be very artful and very well done. Um, but also, you know, at the end, what is the, what is the, what is the bottom line for a commercial? And that's to sell you something, right? Um, so I don't know. I think yeah. I think some commercials can be really beautiful and are really beautiful, um, and especially like how much narrative that a commercial can pack into a small amount of space has always been really mesmerizing to me, right? Like how they can tell a, like a whole story in like thirty seconds, right? Um, I always thought that's really neat. And I think that goes back to, um, you know, Shakespeare wrote five-act plays, right? And not a whole lot of us in this room, maybe with myself being an exception, are going to sit through a five-act play today, right? Um, You know, it started with five, then it went to three, then it went to two acts, and now there's whole evenings that are just one acts, right? Where it's just one, and you kind of sit, and it kind of, we can talk about kind of the idea of how our, our attention span has certainly waned and and grown different and we expect different things you know 
from different uh, types of theater and, and media and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I think there are some really artful commercials, right? But then again, the bo what's the bottom line? Are they still trying to sell you a product? And so I think you have to be careful about that. Sure. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. And that's why you have to be really careful, right? I think that's why you have to be really smart and, and being thinking about um, when do I just turn off and enjoy something versus when do I need to be engaged with that thing, right? Because you're right. There's all kinds of, of messages. And there's a lot of agendas. We, we as Christians talk a lot about agendas, right? that the world has an agenda and that it's trying to, you know, um, take our children from us and that sort of thing. Um, and so I think some of that's true and I think some of that is definitely worthwhile and definitely, you know, uh, thoughtful. I think sometimes though we can, we can lose the nuance of things and we can just um, turn something off, you know, uh, because, you know, we don't want to think too hard about it, right? Um, for example, let me give you an example uh, from my summer. Um, Squid Games, right? Okay, very popular television, most streamed um, television show in the world at the time. I don't know if it still is or not, right? But Dan, do you remember the conversation that you and I had last summer where I was talking about I wanted to, what I was going to write my paper on, right? And I was going to write my paper on the West Wing because I'm a huge West Wing fan. At least the first four seasons, five, six, and five, six, and seven are kind of a different show. But I was like, "Yeah, Dan, I'm gonna write about The West Wing," and he was like, "Really?" And I was like, "Yeah. Uh, what? Why? What? What? Why?" And so we just started talking a little bit, and it was a really brief conversation. But then I mentioned Squid Game for some reason. I can't even remember. I mean, just maybe we were talking about how popular it was or something. He's like, "You should write about that." I was like, "No, Dan, do you even know me? Like, do you? I. This is not my thing." Um, but thankfully, um, I did take his advice and I ended up writing my paper on it and man, there were some great moments. Now, again, I'm not saying that you should go right out and watch it. It is not for everyone, right? That conscience and community thing is important here, right? But I think sometimes we have to be careful that we just completely avoid the nuance of things, um, and, um, just discount something completely without really engaging in it. I try not to comment on art that I haven't seen, all right? So if someone says, hey, have you seen this? And I'll be like, no, I haven't. And um, they'll, they, they'll tell me about it or whatever, and I'm like, that's awesome, that's great, that's good. Um, but I don't make judgments on things that I haven't seen. If, it, if it's because of content, then that's fine, or because it's just not something that I enjoy, that's fine too. Um, for example, for example, Christian films and Christian television, right? So-called Christian film and Christian television, right? Shannon knows me really well, and she knows when someone comes up to me and starts talking to me about Christian movies or Christian films and how good they are and how I have to go see them because I would just love it because I'm a theater person, I have to be real careful. I have to be real careful because a lot of times I will be very quick to dismiss something right, because it's so-called Christian art, right, and it's a hang-up of mine, right, because, um, you know, this idea that, oh, it's Christian art, so therefore it must be, it must be good, right, or it's okay that it's not quite as high quality 
because it's for Jesus, right? And I got to be like, hmm, that just hits me the wrong way, right? So I have to be very careful when people talk to me. For example, um, again, I'm not, not, I'm not going to comment because I haven't seen the show, but um, there's someone at our school and his daughter is in theater and she's awesome and she's lovely and um, she's working at Sight and Sound out in Branson, Missouri, right? And they just continue to talk about how good this piece of art is. And I have to be very careful because my first instinct is to say, oh, right? Um, but I have to stop and I have to say, okay, I haven't seen this piece of art, so I need to be careful about judging it without seeing it, right? And I think that goes both ways. That goes for me as um, an artsy guy, all right? It also goes for people who just, um, who aren't artsy and just want to reject something right away, right? So for me, I have to be careful about that. And Shannon often has to remind me to be careful about that, right? Um, that's why I don't talk a lot about art with certain people, um, just because, um, you know, I don't want to be rude. And the thing is, like, something may speak to someone in a way that it doesn't speak to me, and that's okay. Um, so yeah, sorry, that was, a lot of, um, that was a lot of internal monologue that just came out there. Um, Sorry about that. Other thoughts, other ideas, anything? We have a couple minutes left. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Or your community, like you. I mean, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, you know, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, friend. Go for it. Yeah. 
I, I think you're right in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. And that's like something I struggled with, um, when I was watching Squid Games and kind of like, um, the violence is pretty, pretty raw and pretty out there. Um, and it does seem like there, there's a lot of like just gratuitous sense to it, right? It's like, but then thankfully, hopefully, they took us out on a ledge, but they didn't drop us off the end. They kind of, they, they were able to, you know, use those things in a way that were actually, you know, pointing towards, and if you, I wish, I don't know, this is, um, but the last, the last moments of that television show, and it's not even the last episode, it's the next to last episode, um, when the games are kind of concluding, and this moment of Christ, like, like, just, just, it's there, like, it's just this moment, and you kind of have to decide, like, sometimes you have to decide, like, do I get through all the muck to get to the diamond at the bottom, right, and sometimes that pays off, and sometimes it really doesn't, you know, and um, uh, so, yeah, I think that's something we have to be thoughtful about and considerate about, but yeah, there's definitely a pushing of the line in a lot of ways, yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, friends. Uh, thank you so much. Um, we're going to wrap up because it's 945, and that's when I'm supposed to end. Thanks for your patience with me today. I hope it was worthwhile for you and you got some, some things out of it. Um, uh, so let me pray for us, and then uh, we'll go. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I thank you for this day. I thank you that you have created us to be people who enjoy beauty and goodness and truth. And Father, I just pray that as we um, interact with the world of art and media and then other things, Father, that you would just give us wisdom, that you would um, help us to see and hear things that... Um, will draw us closer to you, Father. And Lord, I just thank you for everyone in this room, and I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to talk with them. In your precious, most holy name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone.